Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that we would that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land of for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of the way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. All right. As you can see, we have a little bit, it's a little different up here. I don't normally stand in front of a cross. It's because it's uh, Palm Sunday today, and uh, it's, a little, it's a little bit new feeling for me, I have to say. A little bit higher up, too. But, um, yeah, as she said, there's a lot going on this week with Easter, and I want to really encourage you guys, yeah, you, as you leave, you can look right outside on the poster and really try to find ways or times that you can come to be a part of this uh, Easter week. Uh, it's something that we're really excited about, what we really believe in. We're a church that's very excited about Easter. This is what it's all about. Everything that we believe hinges on what we celebrate at Easter. I'm not saying that Jesus died and rose exactly on these dates in history, but it's the day that we collectively as a church and as a body of Christ celebrate these dates. And so I do want to encourage you to try to come apart, be a part of those things as you much as you can. And she didn't mention, but also really important, you can come at 8.30, I think, in the morning on Sunday, and that's we'll have breakfast together. So there's also food involved, also a good thing. So you're welcome to come to that. Now, as though it's Easter, the beginning of Easter week and Palm Sunday, we're finishing off James. It kind of just worked out that way. We want to uh, just kind of cap off quite a large uh, bit of text, as you just saw, uh, all together here in this last final week in our series of living faith. After today, unfortunately, we'll have to say goodbye to this very uplifting, encouraging letter of James that we've been going through. A letter that I was reminded of this week as I was praying about this message that was written so long ago. It's so amazing to me when I think about this, that James sat down and God moved in his heart to write this letter over 2,000 years ago. And today, God still speaks to us through this letter, and has, I hope, spoken to us over the last few weeks, and I hope will speak to us today as we finish off the letter. It's a book, a letter, as as any of you who've read it or been a part of this series so far know that it's not one that's meant to make us feel good about ourselves. It's not one that's meant to make us feel content with who we are or how we're living our lives or walking with the Lord It's a book that challenges us 
and I hope has challenged you and will continue to challenge you as you maybe go back and read through it again. And one that pushes us further, to go further, to take more steps and to go deeper in our relationship with God. No matter how long we've been a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a week, for 50 years, it doesn't matter. You cannot read through the book of James and feel no sense of challenge to go more, to, take, to go further. We're, we have to continue our walk, and James strongly encourages us and reminds us that we are being perfected by God in our walk with him, and it's a walk that requires progress. Not that we will be perfect unless somebody died and has gone to heaven and is here visiting us today. All of us are still being perfected. None of us have reached that goal yet. But we are encouraged by this book to continue in that. James is pleading and crying out to us to have this living faith today. To count it all joy as we looked at at the beginning of the book. In the midst of trials and hard times. To, be, to, have, to count it as joy when we face those as we trust in the Lord to treat one another rightly, to not have favoritism, to not treat some people that we maybe like better or who are more highly educated or have more money better than we do others, but to treat all as children of God, to be wise in how we view money, how we view wealth, remembering it's so fleeting and temporary and we don't want to store up treasure here on earth. We were shown that our plans are good, but that we don't want to be arrogant in our plans, that we should trust in the Lord and His plans for our life and His sovereignty more than ourselves. And we don't need to worry about tomorrow when we walk with the Lord. We're to be ready, as we looked at last week, waiting patiently, storing up our treasure in heaven as we wait on the Lord's return. Living faith is a product of a life that produces good fruit. We have either good fruit, living faith, or we have dead faith. James says that faith without works is dead. We're called to not be just hearers of the word, to not just, hey, that sounds great. Um, yeah, amen, pastor. I know you guys love saying amen. I get it. No. Man, there's one, too. But we don't want to just stop there. We want to go and do what we've received from the Lord. We want to do what the Word tells us to do. We want to do what James is challenging us to do, to be doers of the Word, to be active, to have a living faith. Because faith without works, without action, without fruit is dead, and that type of faith cannot save us. It will not save us. We have to have a faith that has fruit and action. So here in the final words of James that we've just read through, there's a mountain, I think, of topics that we could go through. I originally wanted to spend a few weeks on this text, but Easter kind of came and made that a little bit difficult for us, which is okay. So we're going to go through a lot. And there's a lot that we could have drawn out of this, I know. And if you see something that is something that challenges you or whatever it might be, you're free to come and talk with me after the service. I love having conversations about God's Word. But uh, my hope today is that as we end this letter that again draws this letter draws this clear line in the sand that there are two types of faith to be had living faith and a dead faith i want us to leave this letter i want us to conclude it 
with an understanding of some tools I believe that James is leaving us and giving to us in this last chapter. Tools that I believe have, and in my own experience, are some keys to continuing on this path of living faith, that we continue on in it, and that we press in further, and that we become more active in our faith, in our living faith, and that we are able to stay firm in that faith through any and all the many kinds of situations that we're going to face in our lives. There's water there. Wow. That was close. I don't know if anybody else saw that, but I almost just threw that water on the front, on the ground. All right, amen. Let's continue on. That was a good chance for amen. I don't know where it was. So today we're going to end with these kind of key tools that I believe will help us to have this living faith and to be staying in this. Now, all of these are going to be obvious things. We just read through the text. You guys know, no surprises here. You know where we're going. There are key elements that are really obvious. Okay, yeah, we need to pray. We need to praise. We need to confess. These are very churchy terms. You don't even have to have been around church very long to have heard these ideas before. That as Christians, we should pray, we should praise. And in a lot of ways, that is what we're going to be looking at. But I don't want you to get comfortable and fall asleep just yet. Because when we put these things together, and we start to actually live them out and become active in them, we as a church today, I believe, can become a mighty force, can become something more, can become something powerful in this world. And I think that we can all agree... We're not there yet. We're not the mighty force that we could be and should aim to be in our lives today. So we're going to look at these tools. The first tool that we're going to look at, number one, is praise. I want to start with praise. Yes, we're going to get to prayer. But I want to start with praise just shortly. In verse 13b, it says, Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. We're called, we're designed to praise and worship the Lord. So let's talk about this. Singing praise is important. And yes, I mean actually singing, unfortunately, for those who have ever been near me during a worship time. I am not gifted in singing. But it's important to sing, to sing really out loud and praise our God. It's so important for our relationship with Him, our connection with Him. It's an expression of our thanks to Him of our joy that we have in Him and in our salvation, our joy that we have in our salvation of Him. And it's something that is empowering for us. We all have grounds to praise and to thank the Lord. In our salvation, every breath that we take by His grace, the life that He's given us, the beauty of some sun finally and the snow hopefully going away, We have reasons to thank and praise our Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Man, Jesus Christ dwells within us when we call Him Lord, when we believe on Christ and what He did on the cross That is a reason to sing. And singing praise to God is good for us. It's good for our soul. It's good for our spirit. It builds this deeper root and connection with Him 
between God as mighty creator and us as his creation that he calls daughter, that he calls son. We are his children and we can sing to him. Singing praise to God, especially when, we sing, when we're singing scripture, which we try to always incorporate in our songs, either directly or by influence, to be singing the word of God. This prepares us for the trials that we face in our lives. This is a way to count it all joy when we face the trials, to have a song in our hearts. It strengthens our doctrine because we're singing what we believe. It's not just that it's in my mind, but I sing it out what I believe. And this is placing it deeper in our hearts, God's word, God's truth, God's promises, deep in our hearts and deep in our minds to enrich in our understanding of our Lord. And I don't know about you guys, but I love music in general, and there are many times when I've been in times of struggle or stress and worshiping God, it can be such a powerful impact in bringing me peace and comfort in those times. It builds a right perspective. It's putting God, putting Him back in the right place and putting my focus on Him as I sing to Him. And again, if I can sing to the Lord, everybody can, because I, again, I'm a horrible singer. Singing praise to God helps to build up the community of believers. It builds us together. It draws us and unites us together. There's power that it's great. I like to, I'll, I'll sing in the shower. I do it, I'll admit it. When hopefully no one can hear me. <laughs> but there is something very powerful and a calling. And biblically we see this, a calling for us to come together. There's a reason that we're here together today. There's more to our relationship with God than just us as individuals in our relationship with him. We are called to be united. And in our unity together, when we sing together, it builds us up. And I think even we've experienced that if you've ever even been to a concert and the, the music kind of goes down and like the singer kind of holds the mic out to the crowd and everybody's like shouting the lyrics horribly. There's like this kind of unifying power in that. Music in itself is a gift from God and has a power to unify human beings, how much more when we are in a singular purpose and focus and devotion to glorify God as we do it. There's power in it. We need to be praising God. This is our first tool to come together to praise God and not just together, but in our individual lives to be singing songs to him. So the second tool that I want to look at, take a little more time with this one, is prayer. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Pray about it. It's important. Now, I'm guessing you guys know that you need to pray. If you've, again, you don't even have to be a Christian or have ever even been in a church to know that Christians pray. It's kind of like the thing, it's one of their things they do. We need to pray. And not only when we're in trouble, we are to pray always. So how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? How is your communion with God through prayer? As Christians, we believe that our Christianity is not just some ticket into heaven. All right, got my ticket, keep it in my wallet, everything's good, I'll just wait until then. Then I'll talk with God. It's not just supposed to be a weekend hobby to fill time and hang out with people. 
It's more than that. Our Christian life is a relationship, a relationship with the Creator God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in any relationship, communication is vital. Anybody who's ever had a conversation with me for any length of time will know that I talk a lot about the importance of communication in relationships. It's so important. Whatever it may be that you're experiencing right now in your life, pray about it. Talk with your Lord about it. If you're happy and everything's going well, don't just relax and take it easy. Press into God. Pray about it. Thank Him. Sing songs of praise, which is also another way of praying to Him. It's all communication to God. If you're in trouble, and it says here trouble, the ESV is a little bit closer to the Greek, and it says suffering. If you're suffering, if you're in any kind of suffering, no matter how great or small, or how, yeah, how great or small it might be, pray about it. Give it to the Lord. And you guys know this. You know that it's important to be praying. We should be praying about everything. And so I don't want to go too deep into that. Our prayer life needs to be active. It needs to be a dynamic part of who we are and our walk with the Lord as Christians. And we don't have time to dive into all the aspects of prayer. There's so much we could say. But what I did find in my research this, this last week, and I found some really cool practical tips or ways that we can be kind of being more on purpose, improving our prayer life, our prayer walk, and they're very practical. It's seven things that I want to go through here. And uh, I've, so it's not, it's not from me directly. I've, I've adapted it a bit. But I just want to give you these things because, again, it was something that challenged me and encouraged me to try. And I did start to try some of them this week. And uh, so I want to pass them on to you because I don't want to, we don't want to get caught up in, okay, I need to pray. That's, that's just, there's just not praying and praying. But there's ways that we can actually think this through to in, Prove our prayer life. So number one, plan to pray. Plan to pray. When will you pray this week? When will you pray? When will you spend time in relationship and communication with God? If I asked you, when will you study? When will you go to the gym and work out? When will you go on a date? When will you meet a friend this week? I would say we have answers to all or most of those questions pretty quickly. But if I ask, when will you pray this week? Uh, you know, if I have time. I'll, I'll pray. I'll, I'll find a way. I'll, I'll squeeze it in. Let's plan to pray as we do with everything else in our lives. Plan to pray. And when I say plan to pray, there's two ways of looking at it. There's, we want to plan to pray, I think, on a weekly basis or at least for me, I'll give you my example, on a weekly basis, but also, of course, on a daily basis. This is a relationship. And I'm going to spend time with those that I love. I'm going to want to spend time with those that I love. So set time, I believe, for deeper time with God, for quality time with Him, and be on purpose about it. When am I going to do this? And I can say for me, not always because I'm not perfect and I do, sometimes life gets a little bit, you know, overwhelming and kind of everything gets pushed into the, the machine of life. But my plan and what I try to always do 
is on Saturdays to take either a half an hour up to sometimes it's been as long as like two or three hours where I just take a walk just to pray, just to spend time with God, to be on purpose about praying with Him. And I want to encourage you guys, plan to pray, make time. And again, also make time everywhere else. Daily, talk with the Lord about everything. Because I need to plan quality time with my wife. It's important. We need the date nights. We need those special evenings where we say, usually it's Friday nights. Okay, we're going to just spend time together as a family. And I want to make that time. But if I only talk to her on Fridays, that would be a little bit, it would not be good for the relationship. So there's this two kind of aspects of how we commune with God. We need to make these special times because that's important for growth. But don't just talk to him then. Make it a part of your everyday life. Talk with him about everything. And don't just talk. Sometimes in our prayer times we need to listen. We need to be silent in our prayer times. It's good to take this kind of, you know, bringing things to God, but we also want to just take time to listen to what he might have to say to us and put on our hearts. We don't have to just fill the space. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To pray continually, that sounds a little bit over the top. But I believe that when we bring God into everything, every part of our lives, in our rejoicing, God, I'm, man, I'm, things are going well. I can rejoice with the Lord in our thanksgiving, but also in my struggles, in my trials, in my joys, in every aspect of my life as I face whatever I'm facing. Don't think that God is up there and you're down here. You have Jesus Christ He dwells within you, as we looked at the verse earlier. He dwells within you. He is with you. All you have to do is just talk with Him. So make time for special, deeper moments with God, but also bring Him into every aspect of your life. Talk to God about the small stuff. Number two, the rest will go a little bit quicker, I promise. Number two, these are things you're going to know. Eliminate distractions. Adapt ways of reducing all the attention-grabbing things in your life. On my Saturday walks, I don't bring my phone with me. It's not necessary. Avoid the distractions, especially... I mean, yeah, okay, when we're having our daily kind of bringing God into, then it's going to just happen. But when you have these deeper, intimate times, I encourage you to leave the phone aside. You don't have to Instagram it and posted on Facebook that you're praying. It's fine. We, we know you're super spiritual. We don't need like the Bible and the coffee cup picture that everybody does. I'm not talking about anybody individual. I'm just saying. Maybe that's an American thing. I don't know. Get rid of the distractions. Number three, pray with others. When we come together as believers in prayer, this grows our prayer life. There's power in coming together. We know this. And two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus. He is there in our midst. There's power when we come together and pray. This is why we are, it's so important and vital that we are a part of a community. We can come here together and we can pray for one another. We can pray together. 
And this is why small groups are so important, to be a part of a small group where you can really go into deeper, intimate prayer with one another. Pray with others. Number four, learn by observing. We should and should always want to be improving our prayer life. And I can tell you from my own experience, there is something in finding people that you say, hey, they know how to pray. When they pray, God, God, God seems to work. They pray with an authority. They, and I'm not talking about like they just pray with these like beautiful, eloquent words. That's not what makes it powerful. I'm not talking about they are, they're somehow more spiritual than you or better than you. But there are people that we've seen, man, when they pray, there's power in it. And pray with those people as much as they'll let you. Because that will in, in, just impart into you and encourage you and strengthen you. And we kind of, we learn by the way that we see and the way that we experience. And so find people to be a part, to be praying with that you see as powerful prayers. There are people that are definitely prayer veterans that we can be around to help improve our own prayer life. So number four, learn by observing. Number five, develop a system. This sounds so counterintuitive in the way that we understand prayer and our connection with God these days. And I want to be clear, it's good and that we are called to be led by the Spirit. We, we pray in connection with Him and all that we pray. But having a system is not the opposite of being led. So just to be clear... It's simply being on purpose in our relationship with God. Again, this kind of idea of, of planning for a date night. I, it's, not, it's not work. It's not like, you know, oh, okay, I have to plan this. It's, not, it's exciting. I can be on purpose about it. If I just wing it every time, it's not going to be the date night that it could be. And we have a relationship with God so we can have systems in place. And what am I talking about? that we can think through what we're going to be praying. I've had, in my life, I've had a prayer notebook to keep track of who and who I'm going to be praying for and what I'm going to be praying for. But something I found, as I found these, uh, these seven things that I have tried or started to try this week is uh, cards, to have kind of note cards with a name. So I have one for my, my wife. I have one for my son. I have one for Church at Five and one for Calvary Chapel. And so as I am taking, especially these deeper times of prayer, I'm not just going to like wander around and like just see how I feel, but I'm going to go through these cards like, all right, I'm going to pray now for my son. I'm going to pray now for church at five. And then on those cards, I can write things that I know specifically that person or that situation, whatever it might be, needs to be, uh, that I need to be investing prayer in specifically. And that I think is also a good way to be on purpose in our prayer time. And we don't need to just kind of see how we feel and always just be led by the Spirit. We can be led by the Spirit in our systems as well. And there's, there's something powerful in this. And I think God really honors this when we take prayer that seriously, when prayer is that important to us, that I don't want to just see how I feel. I want to pray specifically for people that God has put on my heart to pray. And I don't want to forget them. I don't want to forget the things that they're struggling with. I don't want to forget the things that they need prayer for. So I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to be on purpose in my time of prayer with those things. And yes, some of you guys do have a card, but I'm not going to say who. So, number five, develop a system. 
and find one that works for you, whatever that might be, but a way to keep track and be on purpose about what you're praying. Number six, woof, we're just barely getting into this message, guys. Get comfortable. Number six, pray the word of God. This goes in two directions. One, we should be praying as we're reading the word of God. If something pops in your heart or is, has, uh, impacts you in some way, you can reread that as a prayer over your own life, over someone else's life, over a situation. We can pray as we read the Bible. And the other side, of course, is memorizing Scripture so that we know God's promises and we can stand on them. And as we pray, we can proclaim those truths. We can proclaim them. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is like a sword that we can wield against our enemy. And so we want to know God's Word as we pray and use it in our prayer. Number seven, this is a simple one, pray until you pray. That's something the Puritans actually used to say a long time ago, meaning if you want to see an improved prayer life, pray. If you want to increase your prayer life, pray. And if you're struggling, just pray until you pray. So those are some things with prayer. James also gives us this kind of cool example of uh, just kind of a superstar of prayer in Elijah. And he tells us about this just cool thing where Elijah prays and, and just controls the weather through his prayers in verse 17 and 18. But what's interesting is that he says Elijah was a human being even as we are. Even as we are. Now, I don't know if you guys know this guy did some amazing things. He didn't just pray to stop the rain and then later to get it to come back as a, as a punishment for, it was the, for King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. But this guy also, as he, during this drought, he was staying with a widow and God kind of uh, told him to go and, and take her food <laughs> And in doing that, he prayed, and the woman's food never ran out the whole, throughout the entire drought. During that time, the woman's son dies. Elijah prays, and the boy is raised back to life. And I think one of the most famous stories with Elijah is he uh, gets into kind of a showdown with the priests of Baal, and basically they want to prove which God is authentic by showing which can... Uh, light the, the fire of the altar for the altar with no matches, no lighters allowed, just prayer. And they pray, the Baal guys pray for just continually. They're cutting themselves. They're getting really serious about it. They're doing everything they can. And Elijah just walks up and just says, I'm paraphrasing, God, show them who you are. Show them who you are. Let them see who the God of Israel is. And poof, fire. Not just the altar, like, not just like a, some kindling started. Even the stones burned up. There was nothing left. It was just a crater. Pretty powerful stuff. Are we like that? Can we be? I want to be very clear. There is no gift of calling down fire in the New Testament. So, Sorry can't just be like out camping, be like, just pray, 
God, show, show these other campers. It's not going to work. Sorry. All that he did was by the power of God. And Elijah is an encouraging example that James gives us because he was mighty. He was wild. He was kind of a wild guy. He lived most of the time in the wilderness, getting fed by birds. And... But he was also human. More than once, he thought that he had messed up too much. He thought that the woman's son died because of his sin. When he's out in the wilderness, God is feeding him with birds and, and a brook, and the brook dries up, and the birds stop coming, and he looks to himself as, as, as that he's at fault. He even, more than once, he, he tries to give up everything. He tells God even to kill him. Let me die. Just take my life. I'm, I'm done. Despite seeing God do such amazing things, he lost sight of the big picture thinking that he was the only one left that served God in kind of a bit of a selfish, inward view. God, nobody loves you but I. Just kill me. There's no point of going on. It was a bit dramatic. And God kind of calls him out on that. He's like, dude, I got like a lot of other people I talk to. It's not just you, man. Just relax. I'm paraphrasing again. My point is that Elijah was human. He did some amazing things, but he was also human. I think we can relate to that side of it. As far as I can see, everyone in here is human. And we have an advantage even over Elijah, despite all the great things he did, because we have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus Christ today. John 14, 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We have Jesus Christ within us. We are called to do great and mighty things. Now, I do want to be clear that the name of Jesus isn't some magic trick. It's not that because you said the name of Jesus that it's instant. It's going to happen. When he says that if you ask in my name... What this means is that this is, goes back to that relationship we have with him. Because we, as we are in relationship with him, we are submitted to him and we know him and we understand his heart and his will. And we wouldn't ask him, of, to, we wouldn't ask something of him or in his name that we know isn't his will. So we want to be sensitive in deciphering his will in all situations. So through our life of prayer and praise, we will know his will better. And believe me, when we are in the will of God, when we're in the will of God for our lives, and we ask by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, anything is possible when we are in align with his will and with the faith that he will do it. So we have praise, we have prayer. Now tool number three, community. I want to look at community. Verse 14 through 15, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil 
in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, one interesting thing in this text that's only here in the New Testament is this idea of the anointing with oil. So I do want to just quickly say that there is a lot of ideas about what this is and means, and we can have a long conversation with it later if you want. But uh, there are a few key options that people tend to turn to. One is that it was medicine because oil is used as medicine elsewhere in the New Testament and all through the Old Testament for all kinds of ideas. So the idea would be then that it's, there is like a, a medicine, but we want to pray also in believing with God. I think for me personally, I would go with the idea that it's a symbol. It's a symbol. We see this symbol all through the Old Testament. It's usually for the Spirit of God. And so I believe that it ties in with a symbol of the Holy Spirit and His power. And uh, this, again, is something we see Uh, We do see in the Old Testament, and James is writing to Jewish uh, churches, Jewish Christians, and they would have been very familiar with Old Testament symbolism, as we've seen him use elsewhere in his letter. What's important here that I do think is worth mentioning is that it's, again, it's only mentioned really here, and it's not a necessity to what God wants to do to the work. It doesn't have any power in itself. The oil isn't magical. It's in the name of the Lord that matters. And that's what holds the weight and the power in the situation. Now, we just went through the power of prayer, and so I want to focus here on community. Especially this idea of elders, because we see this that elders were established from the very beginning. It was always... The idea, it's not a modern idea, it's not a new concept. Uh, Elders were always uh, the idea and have a lot of uh, criteria to become an elder, as we see in, in Timothy and in Titus. And this is important to note because there's something that I think many churchgoers, more and more in this day and age, are missing out on here in the level of community. It's so important to be in a church There are a lot of great churches actually here in Freiburg, and I'm really thankful for that. And I think it's good and godly churches. And I think it's great to have community. There's a lot of community amongst the churches, and I think it's important for us to be in communion with one another. It's great to visit other churches and to see other churches. But my plea to you is to have a church that you call home, to have a church that you call your home church, no matter what you end where you end up have a church that you say this is my home because when we're when we're sick and the way that this text lays out sickness it's especially with the rising up there's a lot of imagery that of somebody that might be so sick they can't even take care of themselves they can't even pray over themselves when we're in dire need and struggles and trouble we are meant to be there for one another in community and especially the leaders and elders in a church. Biblically, this is what they are required to do. They are meant and required to be ready always to pray and to serve and to support, to pray in any situation for the congregation they have been called to. And that only works when you have 
elders to call on by being in a church that you call home, to having people that are called to be ready to pray for you. Here at Calvary Chapel, we have five elders at the moment. We're hoping to expand that to seven in the near future. I being one of them, if that wasn't clear. And we also have some great prayer warriors in this church. And any of us, as as part of our calling, again, to be ready in season and out, to pray and to support the people of this church. And of course, not only this church, I pray for other people all the time. It's, you know, there's obviously a call to Christians to be ready to pray. But I can tell you that I know for me that God has called me to this church and called me into this position and he's called me to you guys. And I am honored to be in that position and humbled by it. And by God's grace alone, I can tell you, I will always try with all that I am to be ready to pray for anybody, to meet and support anybody here in this church that needs it at any time. Continuing with the idea of community, let's go into verse 16, where it expands to all of us together. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, there are three things I want us to note in this, I believe, powerful verse and command. Number one, we can have powerful and effective prayer. And that word effective literally means working, prayer that works. Working out prayer. Number two, we should pray for each other. Again, this is an obvious one. We're called to pray for each other, guys. And most of us like prayer. Prayer is an encouraging part of of ministry, an encouraging part of our relationship with one another and with God. It's nice to receive prayer. I love when people tell me they're praying for me. I love when someone says, I want to pray for you. It's so encouraging. And it's encouraging to pray for people, especially those in our community, right? Now, what's less obvious is that we should confess our sins to one another. That doesn't sound as nice. That's a little more difficult. And all this falls under this this first word, therefore. Therefore, meaning to see this effective prayer In our lives, I believe that he's saying confession is going to be a big part of getting us there. It's not the only aspect to effective prayer. But I can tell you this. Hidden sin prevents us from moving deeper in our relationship with God. Hidden sin prevents us. It's a wall we hit in moving deeper in our relationship with God. And our prayer life will suffer. So tool number four, confess. Confess your sins. When we try to hide our sins and cover them, it will destroy us and eat us from the inside out. We all have one thing in common, right? The Bible is clear that 
that all have sinned. None are good. Paul says, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I keep doing again and again. There's this inner struggle as in our human flesh that we always will fall short. No one here today is living a perfect sinless life yet. Right? That's when Jesus comes back. And some of us didn't have a sinless week. Some of us maybe didn't have a sinless day. I mean, it's 5 o'clock. We start the service pretty late. There's a lot that can happen in the morning. When you sin, what are you doing about it? What are you doing with that sin? Are you holding on to it? There is power in confessing it. And yes, confess first to God. That's, I hope, clear. That's what repentance is. We repent. We always need to bring every sin to God immediately. The sooner the better. Don't wait. When you sin, go to God and confess that sin to Him and repent that you don't want to fall back into it again and pray for Him to continue the work that He's began in your heart. We need to confess first to God because we sin ultimately against God. But we also should confess our sins to each other. This is what James is encouraging us, challenging us, and commanding us to do. I believe this is for a good reason. And this, again, this may not be for everybody, just everyone I've ever met so far. But I think for all of us, confessing to God alone is not enough. Confessing to God is not enough. Because we all have what I'm going to call the Peter complex. We think we're much stronger than we are. If you don't know, Jesus at the Last Supper said to his disciples, this very night you will all fall away on my account. And I feel like Jesus said that with such you know, a heavy heart. And then Peter has to get up and be like, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I don't know about these guys, Jesus, but I won't mess up. Jesus then says, dude, you're going to mess up the most. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This would have been a really great time for Peter to just be quiet. But he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Just see like his face getting red. Jesus just like shakes his head and rolls out. Okay, Peter, whatever you say, man. Now, I believe Peter said this with conviction. He believed it. He thought he, he saw himself as strong enough. No matter what I face, I can handle it. How foolish. If Jesus says it, man. Chances are it's going to happen. Just like shut up and don't dig yourself into a hole. Now, the story goes on. What happens, Peter, that night is asked, standing by the fire right near Jesus. Hey, don't you, you knew this guy. You walked with him. This happens, as you can guess, three times. Three times he denies Jesus. And then the rooster crows. And in some texts it says that Jesus then looked at Peter. And his heart broke. He went out and weeped and repented immediately for what he had done. He thought he was strong enough. He wasn't. We do this all the time with sin in our lives. I've been struggling with this sin for the last six years, but man, I got it. This time I got it. 
I got this. I'm not going to do it anymore. Okay, I did it again, but this time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull through. I, I got it. It's never, ever going to work. And yes, there is, obviously, we need the grace of God. It is the Holy Spirit that changes and transforms our heart. But there is a power that we have access to that I think we don't acknowledge out of fear and shame that we can stand together. We don't have to stand alone. We can stand together in these things. So don't do it alone. Confess it to each other. Have accountability in your life. You don't have to tell everybody everything. That's not what I'm talking about. Get a circle of good, godly friends in your life that you can confide in. I can tell you in my own experience, this has changed my life. And we're going long, guys. Just be, bear with me. I want to tell you, I want to go into this, what David tells us in Psalm 32, who struggled with all kinds of secret sins. He had a man killed because he wanted to hide the affair he had with his wife. In Psalm 32, 3 through 5, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was snapped, was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's good for your health to confess your sins. You'll sleep better. You'll have more peace, and your prayer life will be stronger. And it's freeing to know that you don't have any secrets. I know that nobody could ever come up to me and say, hey, I'm gonna, I could tell your wife about that thing you did. Like, yeah, go for it, because there's nothing she doesn't know. It's good to have people in your life that know, that know you, that you've confessed to, that see you deeply, because it will free your heart. So I want to encourage you guys with that. In closing, we'll read the last two verses. Going back to this idea of community, my brothers and sisters, 19 and 20, sorry, my brothers and and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now to wander here in the Greek is a little ambiguous. It's not, it can be both intentional and unintentional falling away from the truth. And with this, I think James is kind of calling to us to look out for one another. Look out for one another. So not only do we need to confess the sins that no one knows about, but we need to be looking out for one another in the sins and wonderings in each other. You are a vital part of God's work to seeing the lost come to Christ. This is our calling to tell the world of the good news of the gospel. That's what God, what Jesus has directly and explicitly told us to do. But we also need to keep an eye on each other here in the church. He's writing to a church. This is the community that he's writing to. And I believe, uh, I won't read it, but in 1 John two nineteen, it tells us that those who have gone away from the faith, they, they never were a part of us. They, were never, they never belonged to the faith. And I think 
there will be some who are in church, grew up in church, and they think that because they fill a seat that they belong to the kingdom of God, that they've got that safety ticket in their wallet to get into heaven, and they don't know the truth about Jesus Christ. And so there's the aspect of when we know each other deeply, we can be on guard for one another. But also, we all are going to be at times prone to wandering away, to drifting away from the truth at different times in our life, sometimes intentionally, where we're going to choose the wrong thing when we know maybe that's not the right thing. And there's sometimes where we're just going to be walking in the wrong way and we don't even realize it. And that's why we need to be in communion with one another, knowing one another in a way that we can keep a watch and look out for each other, that we're able to be who God's called us to be and do what he's called us to do in the world. Our best chance at having an active, living faith as an individual believer in Jesus Christ is to have a living church community where we pray together and we pray for one another, where we confess our sins to one another because, man, who cares? I'd want to be free. I don't want to hold this burden on my own. I want to see my prayer life increased. And we look out for one another. When one starts to stumble, we're quick to say, hey, in love, in love, just want to, let's really imply that, emphasize that, we do these things in love. Because when we truly know one another in this deep and more intimate way, this, this only works when we're really, truly invested in our home church, in our home community, to live close to one another, to be in one another's lives in a real way. I want to invite the band to come back up.